What lies ahead for the economy in 2024? Well, let's wrestle with some questions and issues and challenges. Hi, friends. Welcome to the Press Club C Podcast. I'm Ray Keating. This 134th episode is about my economist's take on where the economy and policy might be headed in 2024. But first, a quick reminder about the Press Club C podcast. Each letter stands for stuff we talk about in various episodes. P is for politics. R is for religion, mainly Christianity. E is for economics. S is for sports. That second S is for stories, books and writing, my own books, other books, fiction, nonfiction, reviews, authors, author interviews, etc. C is for culture, pop culture and otherwise. L is for life. Hey, the big catch-all. U is for understanding, lessons, for example, in history and economics. B is for business and entrepreneurship. And that last C in Press Club C is for conservative. Why? Because I am one. But we have to be very clear these days, to say the least. So I am a Reagan-Buckley, Kemp-Coolidge-Lincoln-Madisonian kind of conservative. Now, by the way, I hope, you please, I hope you'll support the Press Club C podcast um, at the uh, subscriber link uh, to the show at Buzzsprout. If you subscribe at the $8 or $10 level, you'll get two free books by me, uh, The Trader, a Pastor Stephen Grant novel, and my collection of essays behind enemy lines. And if you remain a supporter, you'll get a free book every six months going forward. So that's kind of cool. Thanks for considering that. Now, what about the economy? Um, I do a lot of writing and research on the economy in my economist life. Um, and certainly as, as chief economist for a leading small business group, the Small Business and Entrepreneurship Council. And for the council, I recently penned my economy and policy outlook for 2024. And I thought it might be worth um, talking about that in this podcast episode, of course, with the understanding that the things I spout off here <laughs> are my own views uh, and no one else should be held responsible for such rantings. Um, so anyway, I think... My, I opened up the piece talking about the resiliency of America's private sector. And that's how it's been on, on full display, really, over the past four years. Entrepreneurs, businesses, investors, workers leading our country and our economy through a, what, a deadly pandemic, related government shutdowns, a brutal recession, inflation, and the battle back from all of this or the battle through all of it. So... Uh, perhaps the most amazing aspect of this has been the evidence that the fires of entrepreneurship, if you will, still burn bright in the U.S., uh, despite uh, significant challenges and op obstacles. Um, you know, when you look at uh, new business applications, for example, um, which, again, I update and expand on uh, over at SBE Council. But just to give you a taste of this, um, average monthly business applications never hit 250,000 uh, in a year from the start of this data set, which was 2005, to 2016. Now, in 2017 and 2018, the monthly average moved up just over 290,000. That was good. And then in 2020, at the onset of the pandemic, 
the monthly average uh, actually, I get ready for this, folks, actually jumped, right? Weird, to 365,000. And then subsequently, um, we've topped 400,000, a monthly average of 400,000, uh, more than 400,000 uh, in recent years, 449,000 in 2021. 421,000 in 2022, and 454,000 in 2023. That's wild, right? And that should point to the entrepreneurial fires burning brightly among Americans. But of course, there's a question. Um, how many of these applications actually turn into businesses, right? Because those are just new business applications. So there's various places we can go for this. Um, and as I lay out in the piece, the Census Bureau's employer and, and non-employer data. So employer, you have employees, non-employer, you're just a single entity. There's considerable lags in this data. Um, but, you know, in terms of what we have, in terms of employer firms, there were um, 6.1 million in 2019. And that actually increased to, I mean, I, I don't want to get, Caught up at 6.14 million in 2020, and then to just about 6.3 million in 2021. So we did see growth in the number of employer firms uh, during uh, the pandemic, which and and just afterwards, and that's really quite amazing. As for non-employer businesses, again, you know, one-person businesses in 2019, uh, there were 27.1 million. Um, and then in 2020, it moved up a little bit to basically 27.2 million. Uh, 2021 data are they're not available yet right now. But again, we saw growth from 2019 to 2020. Again, during the pandemic, pretty wild. So other data. In a, the Bureau of Labor Statistics publishes um, numbers uh, in their business employment dynamics report, right? So the latest there is a report covering the first quarter of 2023. So this includes quarterly births of new establishments. Now, you have to keep in mind, establishments include different locations for the same business. At the same time, though, new establishments will capture new firms, right, as well, including one-person businesses. So there's no real way to pull this apart, unfortunately, uh, until... You know, the Census Bureau's other numbers, the new firm's data catch up. But even with these limitations, there's some, there's value here, right, in this data. So in the first quarter of 2023, again, latest, establishment births, now these are seasonally adjusted, registered 331,000. Now, that followed on 344,000 in the fourth quarter of 2022, 349,000 in the third quarter, 365,000 in the second quarter, 349,000 in the first quarter. 2021, the numbers again were above 300,000 in each quarter. So the latest two years with complete data, 2021 and 2022, are the only years in which the quarterly levels ever topped 300,000. And that data set goes back to 1993. So Interestingly, also, the latter half of the pandemic year of 2020 saw high levels of establishment births as well. Um, so again, in terms of data that we have, um, there's a substantial difference. Because when you look at these numbers, right, 
and you compare them to pre-2020 quarterly numbers from 2015 to 2019, for example, establishment births ranged between like 233,000 and 269,000. So when you're talking about numbers uh, running over 300,000, we definitely see a link between some sort of link between the jump up in new business applications and an increase in establishment uh, births. Um, Now, I'm not going to get into establishment deaths as well. We've seen those rise, but that's natural. You know, the pickup in in deaths is expected with the rise in births. You know, entrepreneurship is, is an endeavor rich with risk and uncertainty and failure is not unusual. The key is to see robust births with death, deaths lagging uh, behind the births. And that's been the case uh, post-pandemic. So, again, the spirit of enterprise lives among Americans. Uh, indeed, entrepreneurs stand out as, uh, entrepreneurship, I should say, stands out as one of our great competitive advantages in America. So, having said all this, uh, having mined this data and hopefully not numbed your mind, uh, um, What should uh, current and emerging entrepreneurs, uh, businesses in general, investors, workers, consumers be looking at in 2024 in terms of economic and related trends that will, you know, impact their businesses to varying degrees? Now, I set the table with this entrepreneurship stuff because entrepreneurship is central to our economy. It's central to innovation. It's central to economic uh, income and employment growth. So that's why it's so vital. Uh, it's one of the things that bothers me when you, you know, go to the media, for example, you flip on uh, talking heads on television and so on. They love talking about all sorts of data without looking too closely at entrepreneurship numbers. And those are really, really essential uh, to our current and future economic growth. So looking at, uh, unfortunately, entrepreneurs will once more you know, lean heavily on their, what we talked about at the beginning, resiliency, their persistence, their courage, as 2024 really seems destined uh, to be jam-packed with questions and uncertainties. Um, For example, there either are no easy answers to these issues that I'm going to bring up in questions, or the answers might not exactly be productive. So, number one, inflation. Will inflation prove sticky or will it be brought further under control? And it has been brought down dramatically, right? Um, Tied to that question, of course, is does the Federal Reserve have a clue as to what it's doing in terms of manipulating interest rates? uh, And will it get serious in removing a key source of uncertainty, which has been the unprecedented explosion in the monetary base? Now, the monetary base is currency and circulation plus bank reserves, um, it's really what the Fed has direct control over. That's why it matters, right? Um, and since 2008, it's just unprecedented levels. It's just, so. it's hard to imagine <clears throat> how bizarre uh, the monetary base numbers are until you look at a long-term chart and, uh, and you see that uh, the leap up is, without, again, without precedent. No one could have imagined it beforehand. Um, it was done for dubious reasons, thinking that uh, for some reason an explosion in the monetary base, the Federal Reserve or somehow or another, that is going to translate into um, 
buttressing the economy, the economy in the uh, in the Great Recession, right from very late two thousand seven to mid two thousand nine, then dealing with assorted things along the way, and then the pandemic and so on. Um, so, Fed policy should be centered on reining that in, uh, which they started to do um, late in, I guess it would be 2022, but they've kind of, you know, there's questions as to whether they're, they're sticking to it or not. But it seems to me that, you know, a key point here is that inflation has come down thanks to the private sector, right? Investment, innovation, entrepreneurship, um, private sector healing, uh, innovating and expanding supply chains. Uh, that's what has brought down um, inflation that was caused by, you know, a pandemic and related governmental policies that shut an economy down. Yet at the same time, other governmental policies that flooded, you know, that, that basically handed out a whole host of big dollars to everybody, it seemed, right? So if you have these constraints on supply and demand being ginned up, um, that's the, on top of loose money, right, that we've been playing with since 2008, that's a surefire recipe for inflation. So, um, you know, looking ahead, you know, the hope is, is that the Fed limits its missteps, always the hope, while the private sector uh, continues to work its its magic, for lack of a better word. Uh, but, you know, there are obviously things that affect, affect the private sector doing that. So that's number one on inflation. Uh, number two, growth. At best, the U.S. economy, you know, I think could return to its post-2007 track record of economic growth. And that was underperforming. Right? Um, understand that the U.S. economy, on average, real GDP growth should be three, three and a half percent on average. Right. Factor out the recession, the recessions of downturns from history and during expansion recovery periods, we should be growing at well in excess of four percent. Um, we've been doing less than half that. Right. Really, since um, the Great Recession hit. Um Economic growth has been a fraction of that, less than half of where we should be. So at best, you're going to have this underperforming economic growth. At worst, we could see some sort of recession in 2004. That can't be ruled out yet. Um, the recent uh, Fed Beige book where they survey uh, various outside sources on what's going on in the economy in all 12 Federal Reserve Bank regions uh, that was not a, a good news report, the most re recent one there. But either way, here's the question. Does anyone in Washington, D.C. offer or show serious interest in a clear growth agenda, which would necessitate, what would that include? It would, it, it, it would be substantive and permanent tax and regulatory relief, um, advancing free trade, um, um, reining in federal spending, which, by the way, is projected uh, to persist at record peacetime levels for the foreseeable future, thereby draining resources, understand that, draining resources um, from productive private sector ventures. All right, next we have uh, population issues. U.S. faces slowing population growth and an aging population. 
which creates serious economic troubles in terms of uh, unmet labor needs, up and down uh, the skills ladder, and in terms of lost entrepreneurship. Technology, of course, yep, can help, but these population labor market challenges definitely are undercutting growth now with more severe costs down the road given diminished entrepreneurship and innovation. Again, is anyone on the public policy landscape taking this seriously and offering reforms, in particular in terms of immigration that will help? Or is this, um, is this merely an issue to be used as a political weapon to fuel one's base? So there are population questions for the near term and for the long run. How about free trade? International trade, quite frankly, is an essential source of economic growth, including in terms of expanding opportunities uh, for entrepreneurs, businesses, and workers. Will America's policy leaders somehow or another finally recapture economic clarity on this issue and get back to the U.S. leading the way in reducing governmental barriers to trade? That's what free trade is, right? Reducing governmental barriers so that businesses and individuals are free to trade across borders. Or will recent protectionist inclinations and rantings persist? Judging by the points being made by leading presidential candidates, my hopes unfortunately don't run high. Uh, another issue is obviously international conflict. The world is uh, seems to be an increasingly dangerous place, especially with the U.S. stepping back in various parts of the globe, and that's not good news uh, for business and for the economy. Russia's war against Ukraine, China's economic challenges and threats against Taiwan, and Israel's response to terrorist attacks, the Middle East in general, these all make for a concerning list that could create additional humanitarian tragedies, which is the worst, obviously, of all of this, but also economic problems in the coming year and beyond. Listen, bottom line rule here, right? Freedom and peace are good for people and for commerce, and the U.S. needs to clarify and strengthen its voice and role in the world to advance freedom and peace. That's, and obviously, to protect our interests. These are all serious issues and questions. Uh, unfortunately, and perhaps ironically, <laughs> sober assessment and productive responses are likely to be in short supply, given that 2024 is, yep, as we know, both a presidential and congressional election year. However, having said all that, there are positives. Among the positives that will help in some of these areas uh, is, as we mentioned before, private sector investment and innovation, but especially on the technology front, including advancements in telecommunications, um, you know, computer speed pow and power, AI, the metaverse, and more. Um, those are all going to be positives. In turn, that will expand opportunities for entrepreneurs to gain access to capital and new markets and consumers, to improve operations and customer service, to create new goods and services, to start up and expand businesses, right? to create new job, op job opportunities for workers, and to improve our quality of life in general. But even innovation is threatened by misguided government policies. Just look at dopey stuff that's going on on the, uh, the antitrust front. 
um, policy making and threats that ignore market realities and just seem to be exclusively focused on U.S. global technology leaders because they are, well, big. Um, so, listen, the free enterprise system should make us all optimistic about the coming year and far beyond. And you know what? As a foundation, it does. We just need for policymakers to stop erecting obstacles and increasing the costs of what? Of working, entrepreneurship and investing, and so on, and instead provide a sound foundation for economic growth. I know, sounds kind of crazy. But listen, thanks for listening. Your feedback and suggestions are always welcome. Uh, please check out my various endeavors and books. Uh, as for my books that are out, there are the past of Stephen Grant thrillers and mysteries. Um, also, uh, the Alliance of St. Michael series, the first book there is out, Cathedral, and I'm working on the second one right now. Uh, if you need to get some inspiration, improve your productivity, the Lutheran Planner, the to-do list solution, or the Disney Planner, the to-do list solution. Among my other nonfiction books, The Weekly Economist, 52 Quick Reads to Help You Think Like an Economist. How about The Weekly Economist 2, 52 More Quick Reads to Help You Think Like an Economist. I'm working on The Weekly Economist 3 right now, and that should be out fairly soon. Uh, there's also Free Trade Rocks and so on. So all of my books, except the planners, are available at Amazon.com as paperbacks and Kindle editions. Everything's available sign books over at rakeeatingbooksandmore.com so please check it out uh, thanks so much for listening uh, god bless and i hope you're having uh, a happy new year